system. And so there is the elite, which is a, fed, a completely different uh, system of education. And then the majority of the people, the whole education system has been neglected. I'll just give you a very quick example before I move on. In Miawali, when I did a survey, I found 70% of the government schools closed. That's out of 476 schools, 70% of the schools are closed. 20% only exist on paper, there are no schools on the ground, and the 50% schools that are, that are on the ground, there are no teachers. So it is, you cannot imagine the crisis that's coming. You know, when they all talk about why these, uh, I heard Benazir say about madrasas, what choice have people got? If, it's, uh, if the children have no education, I mean, they'd be happy to send them to poor people, to madrasa, at least to get literacy. So this is a big problem in Pakistan, which is, which uh, neither these two uh, junior king and senior king, Mushbosh and uh, Dollar Aziz, no one realized what's happening. So, so then education, number two is the taxation system, the economic policy. Now, in, in England, you know, when I first went as an 18-year-old, the, the thing that was that struck me most was a welfare state. You could walk into a, a, a hospital, get free treatment. You could, you know, go to a school. Uh, you know, I was, uh, when I went, I had to spend nine months to do my A-levels. So my club put me in this grammar school. Free education. Quality education, free. Then... <coughs> If you're an ordinary citizen and you have to go to court, you have legal aid. You're protected. They get a lawyer for you. If you are unemployed, you have unemployment benefits. The state looks after you until you get employed, which is what a welfare state is. Here in Pakistan, and the reason why that happens is that, of course, the rich pay taxes and the money spent on the common people. The resource transfer is estimated in, in European uh, countries is about 35. Every year, 35% of transfer from the rich to the poor people or common people. Even in the U.S., which is a capitalist country, there's about 16% money transfer from the rich to the to the to the masses for social security. In Pakistan, the poor subsidize the rich. 90% of taxes in Pakistan are indirect. 90% of taxes are indirect. But the worst thing this Shaukat Aziz did was that in 2000 January, he sent a letter to the IMF. I have the letter. He said, look, basically, I am your obedient servant. You know, the previous government has been fudging figures. I want to tell you what the true figures are. And so he gave, you know, whatever the fudging was. So the IMF then wrote and told him to remove all the subsidies. So all subsidies were removed from the agriculture sector. And GST was um, applied to all the things that were going into producing food. So why, now when you see these price rising, you know, the food price inflation, that's where the beginning started. That when in India, for instance, why isn't the inflation so high? Because countries always, and when I spoke to Mahathir Mohammed, I had a long chat with him, how he changed Malaysia. One of the things he said was that they made sure that the things that common people consume, they made sure that the price was kept very low. 
And here we are in Pakistan, you know, by removing all that, this is a country which is what could potentially one of the richest agricultural land in anywhere. You know, there's a friend of mine who's working in, in Australia. And he told me in Australia, he said that in Australia, barely you can find, you know, the topsoil in Australia, which is the most crucial thing, you know, for fertility. He said it's about six inches. He said in Pakistan, it is an area that's six feet, the topsoil. It's one of the most productive lands we have, but unfortunately, the farming sector has been completely neglected. All the money transferred, because it's all to the rich and the industrials are rich, the money is all transferred to this industrial class at the expense of the farmers. In India, the reason why the, the yields are three times the size on similar land, I mean, East Punjab, West Punjab, three times higher the yields are because the government subsidizes the small farmer. So when the small farmer gets money, he produces, he puts it back on, on the land, and when he puts the money back on the land, he makes money. He again, he doesn't want to buy a flat in London. He wants to put it back in the land. And so when he gets rich, the country gets rich. When he produces, the country gets rich. In Pakistan, what they have done is exactly the opposite. You know, the rich farmers, of course, can get all the credit and have it waived off. Most of them are political. But the poor common farmer has been starved in Pakistan. And so this is, uh, you know, the whole policy has been tilted. The lopsided, the taxation system, the economic policies, they are all to benefit a tiny class. You know, people made billions in uh, stock exchange, made billions in property. And in Lahore, all the political class, all the Nazans, town Nazans, all land grabbers, all of them made plenty of money. Not 1% of capital gains tax was paid either by the, the, all the money made in property, and I'll just give you, Dr. Rashid Amdad, who was a top economist, he assessed that the phase six housing society, defense housing society in Lahore, he assessed its value to be $18 billion. They didn't pay one, on all the files that were being transferred, not 1% of capital gains tax was paid. All the tax was paid by the government through, through not just the price hike inflation. So the economic system is all lopsided. That needs to be changed. Because soon we will be in a state of Kenya, as in Nairobi. I don't know how many of you have been to Nairobi. The rich people now live in fortresses. They're gunmen on top keeping the masses out. And when they go out of the fortresses, they warn you that, listen, make sure if you're wearing a watch, don't take your hand out of the car because they might take your hand with the watch. <laughs> so it, it will. It's inevitable. As you see the rise in crime in Pakistan, it is inevitable that with a population of 160 million, the majority of them now uh, born without education, and, uh, and, and in, the, in the classes and in the way where they are totally deprived, this, this cannot lead to a stable society. Uh, the other thing, of course, which has to be corrected in Pakistan is that we have to have a state which takes responsibility for the health of the population. I don't know whether you know that 500,000 children in Pakistan die every year because they don't have access to clean drinking water or water-borne diseases. This is UNICEF figure. I was a special presenter of UNICEF, and that's when I discovered that 500,000 children die every year because of water-borne diseases. So we need a state. So now I come to the solutions. We need a state that has to do two things. Number one, it has to have, you have to have rule of law in Pakistan. 
rule of law you can only have with an independent judicial system. You can only have an independent judicial system if constitutionally the judicial commission, we make a judicial commission approved by the parliament, both opposition and government by a parliamentary committee which is cross-parliamentary and that approves a judicial commission who then has constitutional protection, has a set tenure and does two things, the selection of judges, uh, the selection promotion of judges and their accountability. So it is completely removed from the government so the judiciary no longer can in any way be controlled by the government. This has to be the number one way of moving forward. Reason why you have to do this is because um, at the moment the entire criminal class in Pakistan wants to go into politics. <laughs> if you want to uh, see an example, go to the parliament. <laughs> if you want to see a better example, start from the chief minister here. <laughs> I can give you in writing that his family is unique, that there is no crime in the book they have not committed. Then of course, then of course you have a lot of ministers. I have seen their files myself at the time when I mistakenly thought that General Musharraf was a reformer. I happened to see the files were shown to me by NAB and most of them, uh, you know, have uh, quite uh, thick files of the money they've accumulated. And then of course if you want to see, uh, you know, uh, a part of the American dream team, you know, American, there's a Washington dream team to take over Pakistan. There's of course Musharraf, you know, the military man, but moderate. Then there is... Uh, the key word, remember, the key word is moderate. If you're moderate, all your sins are absolved. <laughs> then there is, of course, liberal Benazir. The most liberal thing about it is that she's liberally corrupt. Washington dream team lives in London called Altafa Center. <laughs> you know, when I, when I, uh, when I happened to um, call Altafa Center Pakistan's number one terrorist, MQM went on the attack. So they used everything, you know, first of all they threatened me uh, you know, with, as they normally do. Uh, then, they, then they changed tack because they suddenly realized that if they threatened me, anything happened to me, poor Antap, I would get into trouble by Scotland Yard because I'd already gone to court. So they got a bit scared of that. Then they tried the other thing, blackmailing, which is another thing. Now with me, they found it difficult. You know, normally they've got, they've got a full sectarian of every political figure in Pakistan which they've got files on to blackmail them. So with me, they only ended up with uh, a poor old Sita White. <laughs> as, you know, 
she's not with us anymore, but that didn't stop them. So I had this Babar Wari sitting with next to me on television, on television, showing the photograph. He says, look, the girl really looks like you. Admit it, she's your daughter. I was too embarrassed to say anything on television because you know, everyone is watching. But afterwards I told Babar Wari, I said, look Babar, if just because she resembles me, if that's the criterion, I'll take you to any town in Africa, you'll find out. very happy, you'll all become, we'll all be at the Dal Pasang. You know, the, the words that have been used, everyone is now moderate, enlightened, everything. So this moderate alliance, the only purpose of this alliance uh, uh, is of course to pursue the agenda where our army at 70 million dollars a month will become cheap mercenaries to work for the US to hunt down Pakistanis. And when Pakistanis get killed, it'll be collateral damage. Women and children get killed, as you know, and, and you don't know. By the way, you do not know how many women and children have been killed in this war on terror. And I can tell you that while Shaukat Aziz and Musharraf know exactly how many Americans have died in Afghanistan and in Iraq, I can bet you anything they do not know since 9-11 how many Pakistanis have died. We don't know how many Pakistani soldiers have died. We do not, we certainly do not know how many Pakistani civilians have died in this war on terror. And what is, what is very important for you to realize is this, that the reason why we need an independent judiciary is not just to block the way of military adventurers, but actually to stop criminals from going into politics. Because it's not just that you have mega criminals like, you know, you see the Chaudhary sitting there. You also have, in every district you have criminals sitting there. The man who was, who got the Q-League ticket to fight against me one-to-one -one in the last election in Miawali is the biggest drug baron in Miawali. And this guy was serving jail sentence when suddenly the Chaudhrys realized that this was the perfect man to fight me because he had lots of money. So you have every level, you have the system because the executive control the judiciary, everyone wants to be part of the executive. Every criminal wants to be part of the executive, either to become a crook or to protect his corruption. That's why this is very important. The whole system, this whole Lota culture. Why do you have these Lotas? You have these Lotas because they have to be in power to avoid uh, getting uh, thrown in jail. So that's why you have this each time, you know, you. The bizarre scene when Nawaz Sharif was coming, it was the most hilarious time. I, you cannot imagine what was happening. Because when Nawaz Sharif was arriving from there, now all these Q-League Lotas all suddenly got terrified because they realized if Nawaz Sharif came in, he would come into power. So now they were all sitting in balance. If, he, if Nawaz Sharif had got out of the airport, I can give you in writing, Q-League would have evaporated. 
all, all of them would have joined and leave. Because they all realized that they could not be on the opposite side of the law. So you had this bizarre thing, you know, there was, a, there was something very funny that happened in Punjab. Sometime back, there was a Manzoor Bhattu's government and he was the chief minister of Punjab. And what happened was that um, there, was a no con there was a power struggle going on. So at one point it looked at, uh, as if Manzoor Bhattu was going to uh, control the Punjab assembly. So the whole Punjab assembly went on that side. Then they discovered, overnight they suddenly discovered that no, um, you know, Nawaz Sharif has got the upper hand. So the whole of them went on to the other side. Then they again went on to the other side when the police came. So I mean, it is just, a, you know, it is, a, it is a joke. How can you, as civilized people, just imagine, how can you expect this country to achieve its potential when these jokers are sitting on top? And you can only do it if you have an independent judicial system where they know that even if they are government, they can be prosecuted. That's the only way you can stop this nonsense from taking place. And that's why, remember one thing, number one thing is the fixing the judicial system. It is imperative. If, if the judiciary is not fixed, you can have Shaukat talk about the 7% growth rate until the cows come home. It's not going to make any difference. The country has no future. It is going to be, become a failed state. So the critical thing is the judiciary. Number two is the education system. We have to have an education emergency in Pakistan. This is an emergency situation now. It is a catastrophe we are heading towards. It has to be dealt with at an emergency level. We have to have one syllabus in Pakistan. If Malaysia can do it, India can do it, Singapore can do it, why can't we do it? Why do we have to have this sort of bizarre system going on which is creating uh, schisms in our society, divisions? There's a cultural problem in Pakistan, you know, you have Dini Madrasa, Urdu medium, English medium, all different cultures. And then you have differences in English medium uh, education which also, uh, you know, they're... So, we have to have one syllabus in Pakistan, education emergency. All resources, all our resources should be diverted towards education. You know, you have to dissolve these palaces, PM house, governor houses, president houses, all of them must become education institutions. All that money must, you know, they must, whoever is on top must lead an austere life. Give an example that, you know, this is a poor country. Look at Shaukat Aziz. Would you think that this is a poor country the way you look at Shaukat Aziz? You know, during, have you, you don't know, I mean, you don't know some of the things. General Musharraf, General Musharraf goes to, now listen to this. General Musharraf goes to the US. Now he's gone to the US for an 18 day, day tour. He spends 2 crore rupees only on fashion shows. He takes models from here doing fashion shows in America. I mean, have you ever heard anything more stupid like that? That's trying to promote our culture. This is our culture, fashion model going there. This is, unfortunately, this is the caliber of the man. Actually, you should have known the caliber of the man when he wrote that book in Line of Fire. I, I refuse to read it only for one reason. If it was in, if it was, the only reason I did not read it was because it was in non-fiction. If it was in fiction, I would have read it. <laughs> How can a mature man write a book like that? The bullets were flying and I was this and that.
coward. <laughs> All his actions have proved that. But anyway, so education, number one is uh, rule of law, education, number three, this whole economic, uh, you know, the system has to be changed. You don't need to raise the taxes in Pakistan. You just do not want to have any sacred cows who have tax exemptions. And you'll be surprised all these amnesties, also not just the amnesty to Benazir's uh, 100 million billion rupees, amnesty to every, every business now has tax amnesties. All you have to do is show your money coming from abroad as remittances that you are tax free. So all this has to be changed. You just give tax, not reasonable taxes, not high taxes, but make sure that everyone pays taxes. Who doesn't pay taxes, it goes straight to jail. Like in the U.S., no one, no one can, uh, you know, if you're if you're caught in tax fraud, you go to jail, and you see how quickly the revenue rises in Pakistan. Um, and the fourth thing is, we must also have an employment emergency. You know how to give employment to the people in the rural areas and in the urban areas. You know, this, is a, this was the key of Mahathir's uh, revival of Malaysia. He actually, the specific plan was to provide employment to the people. And this is, has to be the key. How do we, and, and inshallah, when, uh, whenever the emergency is lifted, when we present our manifesto to you, I guarantee you that we will have the most innovative ways of providing employment in Pakistan because it is an emergency situation. Otherwise, you will find deteriorating situations. If you don't provide employment to, to young people in the rural areas, you will soon have these cities unsustainable, these huge cities with people which are with no facilities and people flocking to the main urban centers. So anyway, these are the four things I think um, which are critical. And uh, the solution to this war on terror is, is this, that there is no way Pakistan, any Pakistani soldier should be in the tribal area. We should pull the soldiers back. We should ask the Americans that there will be, there is no military solution to this war on terror. If today there is a consensus in the United States that there is no military solution in Iraq, and if the Democrats are demanding a timetable for withdrawal of troops from Iraq, why are they not demanding the same thing in Afghanistan? Paddy Ashtown was in, this UN rep was in Afghanistan. He categorically stated that there is no military solution in, in Afghanistan. So if there is no military solution, why are they not demanding a withdrawal of the troops? Because it is not American troops that are dying. It's Afghan troops and Afghan civilians, Pakistani troops and Pakistani civilians, cannon fodder that has been killed. So no one is asking for a withdrawal here. We are here just expected to do more and more and more. And for $70 million a month, I think that the time has come for the Pakistanis to stand up and say, there is no military solution. Find a political solution. If Hamid Karzai can speak to the Taliban, uh, moderate Taliban there, uh, why, should, um, why should we not be uh, seeking a political settlement everywhere? In Swat, in the, in the tribal areas. And the more you send your troops there, the more provocation, the more civilians getting killed. And believe me, it is this is unsustainable. Sooner or later, the army is going to rebel against it. The army, the common soldier who is now giving up arms in droves, 200 people giving up, who don't want to fight. Soon, and if the army keeps getting targeted in Sargoda, the airmen get killed and 
and, uh, and Pindi, the uh, ISI uh, uh, get killed. Soon you will have generals hiding behind uh, uh, fortresses. Because there is no way the army can sustain this action for long. And it's only a matter of time before you know you have some sort of uh, uh, rebellion within the army. So we have to move out of this war on terror, explain to them, and the remedy is that you should help the tribes, encourage the tribes. This is what the British did. The British, when they wanted to get things done by the tribes, they would help them, they would bribe them, they would pay them, they paid them subsidies, but they did not send the troops to achieve anything because they knew it did not work. They have left a material, 80 years material on the tribal area. So in my opinion, the time has come to demand for a timetable of withdrawal from, the, from Afghanistan. As long as NATO is there, you cannot expect Pakistan will not be able to stop any infiltration. And we will always be pressurized by Americans. Again, yesterday, they, the drones, the American drones killed 10, 15 tribal people. And this will just go on and on, and there's no end to it, and Pakistan will become another Algeria. We are heading towards becoming an Algeria. So there is no military solution to this war, and we should all, there should, the civil society should stand up apart from the political parties. We have to stand up and say that find a political settlement with it. Thank you.